Hello out there to the folks in internet land. I want to first express my thanks for all of you who have uh, taken the time to express your sympathy over the death of my father. Your support was as overwhelming as it was unexpected. I'm so grateful for your love and support. Thank you. You know, when things are tough and our hearts are heavy, it does us good to come to church, even if it's only through our screens. It does us good to hear the dream of the prophet Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, and he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all the peoples. He will swallow up death forever. And from Philippians, what could be more uplifting than this proclamation from Paul? He's writing from a grim prison cell, but somehow he finds the capacity to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice, the Lord is near. And then we've got, of course, that timeless 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For hundreds of years, in the face of every conceivable adversity, these are the words that we have returned to again and again. In the midst of warfare and violence, foreign enemies and domestic terrorists, plagues and pandemics of every conceivable personal calamity and communal hardship over centuries. These are the words that have helped us to absorb the worst that life has had thrown at us. Even while we're still reeling from the blows, we vibrate to these words like a handbell vibrates when a church bell is rung. These words are powerful because they contain a memory that is not our memory, it is the memory of our species, preserved and handed down from one generation to the next. We've been singing this song of Isaiah's now for 27 centuries on this mountain. The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. Isaiah reminds us that we're part of something infinitely bigger than our fleeting moments of personal pain and pleasure. We're part of a magnificent whole, like, a, like single cells living and dying within the body of God's creation. <clears throat> and he reminds us that we're part of an ancient lineage stretching back to the very beginnings of our humanity. And just as our ancestors did in the face of trouble, so do we again and again. We stand up, we march, we gather ourselves, we work for God's justice and peace. This is what our ancestors did. This is what we teach our children's to do, our children to do. This is what it means to be a people of faith. We meet adversity with hope. We meet violence with love. We proclaim in the face of mendacity and corruption a God of justice and peace. And yet we would not be living in the 21st century if we didn't occasionally stop and wonder about all of it, you know? 
When I'm all alone for days on end, it's easy to look again at these words in the scriptures and say, you know, they're, they're very pretty words, but is any of it actually true? Is God really with me through the valley of the shadow of death? Has God actually swallowed up death forever? And who, other than a religious fanatic or a madman, would be sitting in a prison cell like Paul and rejoicing? Who does that? What, in other words, does any of this actually have to do with reality? These are the questions that I find myself asking when I'm deep into the isolation of this pandemic. It's kind of like a friend of mine many years ago. She was struggling with depression and she had been isolating herself a lot, sleeping in and skipping classes and avoiding her friends. But her birthday was coming up, so a bunch of us threw her a big party. And I mean, it was a great party. This was way back when, when the Thriller album had just come out and we stayed up all night dancing to it. It was probably one of the best parties I've ever been to. And it was so great to see my friend out there dancing and connecting with her friends. And then of course the next day she was right back into her depression and wondering to me if anyone out there actually loved her. And I was like, what? Weren't you at the party last night? Didn't you feel the love? You had all of your friends gathering around you, telling you how much they loved you. And she just kind of shrugged and said, yeah, I don't know, I guess. And then she went back to bed. That's what isolation does to us. We forget about the party. Put in biblical terms, we forget about the banquet feast. Next time we're invited, we might not even come. We'll make some kind of excuse, we'll roll over in our beds, we'll go back to watching TV. That's what scares me most about this pandemic, I think, that we're getting so used to being alone that we'll come to prefer it over the banquet feast will settle into a false sense of community that Facebook and other social media give us, which we always have to remember is a fake community created by an artificial intelligence. It's a robot's idea of community created by a robot, for robots, for the purpose of exploiting our human desire for connection and transforming that desire into economic exchange. In the world of social media, we have to remember we are nothing but commodities. We are nothing but a source for purchases and clicks and views and likes. We are no longer a community of actual eye contact and real hugs and confessions made over a kitchen table at two in the morning. By the way, if you haven't yet seen the absolutely essential documentary about all of this, I highly recommend it. It's called The Social Dilemma. It's playing on Netflix right now. I think it's one of the most important films that we could be watching at this moment in our history. Absolutely chilling 
and enlightening, The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Anyway, this is what happens when we start isolating ourselves, stop accepting invitations to the party. We forget about how we're actually connected. We forget about how we are actually loved. We become like the fools in today's gospel parable. They've been invited to a wedding banquet thrown by the king, and they start making excuses. They go, oh, I've got some business to attend to. In Luke's gospel, I've just bought a farm and I need to go inspect it. I just bought five pairs of oxen. I need to go check them out. I'm waiting for my Amazon package to arrive. I'm too busy scrolling through my Twitter feed. I'm caught up in my video game. I'm binge watching the latest Hulu series isolated, alone, turning away from our very children and spouses as we become glued to our screens. We're forgetting what it's like to give our complete and full attention to one another. We're forgetting what it's like to have a direct connection unmediated by electronic devices. There's a reason why Jesus and Isaiah kept going back to the image of the banquet when they were talking about their experience of God. Because it's at the wedding feast where we feel connected to the whole. It's at the dinner table where we're fed and nourished. It's at the party where ecstatic songs make sense and where our traditions connect us to our primordial past. That is when we realize we're not alone. This is how Paul languishing in a prison cell near Ephesus, this is how he could rejoice. He wasn't rejoicing in the quality of his mattress, which was no doubt filthy and teeming with critters. He was rejoicing in his connection to the gospel that was spreading throughout his community. He wasn't rejoicing in the rotten bread he had to eat. He was rejoicing that his people were holding fast to the word of life. He was rejoicing in that which is so much bigger than him himself. So if you're struggling right now with all of this, if you find yourself wondering what it's all about, whether any of it makes any sense anymore, remember that those are the thoughts of a person in isolation. Those are the thoughts of a person living in a culture that separates us from our source that lures us ever more deeply into the lonely rabbit warrens of consumption. That is not a world where ecstatic poems about God's heavenly banquet make any sense. But that's okay, because we have one another. We are at the feast now. And this pandemic will not last forever. The New York Times reports confidence among many scientists that we may well have an effective virus by April or May. We just need to get through this winter together. So let's remember, this is not forever. It's just one more winter. It's going to be a long winter, and we're going to need the strength of our ancestors to get through it. We're going to need to visit that mountaintop again and again, we're going to need to remember that one day soon we'll be together in this banquet hall in real time and space, singing our ancient songs of praise, praying our fearless prayers of hope. 
And in the meantime, we have this. Thank God we have this. It's not perfect, but it's going to have to do. So together, friends, let's go to the dance. Take my hand now, right? And come with me. There's a party going on around here. Amen.